Conservative. Constitutional. It's the Andrew Cooper Writer Show. Keeping you informed on what's going on right here in Kentucky. And welcome everybody to the Andrew Cooper Writer Show. Happy, happy Wednesday, of course. The Andrew Cooper Writer Show, your source for Kentucky politics and man, do we've got a show for you today. We've got some really important topics to dig into uh, as far as the legislature's behavior. We're coming up on that legislative session. It's an incredibly, incredibly important time. Maybe if you've never reached out to your legislators before, you've never talked to them, you've never gotten active on a bill that the state legislature here in Kentucky is pushing, now is the time. And I, I want to make sure I can walk you through real quick because we're going to talk about some important issues that you need to, and, and honestly, throughout the next several months, as the legislature is in session, uh, we'll be really focusing on those bills being considered. And if anything else my labor love here bringing this show to you it's mainly about getting people involved helping them stay informed but then moving that into affecting policy and that's what i hope you tune in and listen to the andrew cooper show for uh if, if anything else and, and the reason to tell others to listen to the show is in order to stay informed on what you need to be watching that's going on in the state legislature and getting your friends your neighbors and everybody else involved in doing that it's very, very important. So few things that you can do before I go into kind of how do you even contact a legislator on a bill? Remember to tell people about the show. You can listen to the show at 9 a.m. on WZXI, Monday through Friday. Uh, and, and WZXI, for those living in, in Lexington, uh, uh, Nicholasville, Wilmore, um, Garrett County, uh, you know, Lancaster there, uh, Danville, Lincoln County, uh, Richmond, Berea area, you can catch this show on 1280 AM as well as 94.1 FM and 95.5 FM. And if you don't listen in that area and you want to tune in at 9 AM, just head on over to the Andrew show.com. Once again, that's the Andrew show.com. And uh, you can go back, listen to old episodes there too, as well, but you'll see a WZXI player. You can catch it at 9 AM. And of course, everywhere else, the major podcasting platforms, Apple, iHeart, Pandora, all those great stuff, as well as Facebook, Rumble, Twitter, and YouTube uh, have episodes released every day at 1 p.m. So you're able to kind of stay up with us there. But in order to contact your legislatures, I want you to learn about what LRC is. LRC stands for Legislative Research Commission. Uh, that is the body, the administrators, basically, of the legislative branch. That is their office staff. Those are the people who help them write bills and stay on top of things. And if you want to contact your legislature, um, you don't even need to know who your legislator is. You can just call 502-564-8100. Or for those of you who just can't, don't want to write that down, can't remember it, just Google LRCKY. Their website will come out. Um, and so that phone number, again, those 502-564-8100. When you call that number, a fantastic and very helpful person will come on the line. They'll ask you your address, and you can say you want to leave a message for your legislator. But you can also leave a message for individual committees and say, I want to leave a message for everybody on the Judiciary Committee, which uh, for uh, a bill we're going to be talking about today, of course, and digging into the Judiciary Committee is the committee that's hearing that bill. 
and you can say, I want to leave a message for them as well. You can also go to LRC's site and go to legislators and you can find your legislators email and you can shoot them an email uh, too as well. So doing those things, very important, reaching out to your legislators. So as you hear me talk about issues, if you can't maybe meet, and now obviously the go-to is to meet with your legislator in person. If you can go out there, meet with your legislature, uh, legislator in person, ask to sit down and talk to them about some bills, that's very, very impactful. Uh, especially too, if you can get a few of your neighbors together too, if you can get five to 10 people sitting in your legislator's office, your house rep's office, talking to them about a bill, you can really start to see some change, especially uh, if you're a conservative talking to a conservative or a, a conservative talking to a Republican representative, because they know you have a lot of power and ability in those primaries, those house primaries, especially very important. Uh, and they will listen to you if you sit them down and grab a hold of them. So uh, I want to encourage you all to check out LRCKY. Once again, just Google that. LRCKY, and you'll find uh, the website. So you can find the email addresses as well as uh, find this number 502-564-8100. So you can leave messages for your representatives. And as always, if you have questions for this show, you can email info at theandrewshow.com. Once again, that's info at theandrewshow.com. You know, for the last several days, I've been, um, not last several days, several months, uh, I've been talking about CAR. Occasionally, and that stands for Crisis Aversion Rights Retention Act, which is uh, a fancy title being used for red flag gun law being proposed by one senator, Whitney Westerfield. Uh, this is Whitney Westerfield's final legislative session. Um, he will he decided not to run for reelection. Uh, that's all well and good. He's an awful person, um, and he's a horrible legislator. He's he is exactly everything you watch out for when it comes to Republicans. There is. Uh, literally not a stance he holds on major important topics like the second amendment, like uh, uh, what does he stand for? Like what he thinks conservatism is that the vast, vast majority of Republicans agree with. He falls into that very unique category that maybe only 15% of Republicans actually agree with him. And it's so odd how these individuals can, can make it onto the legislature. Isn't it so odd that these people that don't represent any of the base can make it on. That's because, of course, uh, those types of people, they're, they're not good people. They're, they're morally not good people. We'll go into that. They, they are personally just not good people. They're not. They can be nice. They can fake it. You know, and everybody always tells me, oh, I like, uh, you know, he's a nice, not Whitney Westfield. I don't know if he's a nice guy or not. I've every interaction I've had with him, he's been a jerk. But, um, you know, a lot of times you'll hear legislate people talk about their legislature, say, well, he's a nice guy. Well, I got news for you. When the Antichrist comes, he's going to be a nice guy too. And you know what? The number one thing people say about Joe Biden is, well, he's a really nice guy. And so just being a nice guy shouldn't cut it in politics. But of course, they're pathological liars. They have no problem just outright saying whatever they need to in order to win elections. And so they continue to hold power. Well, he's pushing forward this car bill, Crisis Aversion Rights Retention Act, a red flag gun law. And basically what the cusp of the law is, now we're just going to get to see the law for the first time this week, but on the 15th at 10 a.m. in the Judiciary Committee, they'll have a public hearing on this bill. I encourage you to show up there. I encourage you to reach out to the Judiciary Committee before that as well, letting them know under no certain circumstance should they be voting for CAR. But what it does or what it's the idea behind it is that a, a person can be deemed mentally unwell temporarily so that that way their guns can be 
seized by government, by judges, uh, in order to, uh, quote unquote, for their own good and the good of the community. And what's really key to understand there is that these people have not been convicted of a crime. They have not stood before a jury of their peers. They have not even necessarily been involuntarily committed. Uh, they haven't actually even had a mental breakdown that's ended them up in hospitals. There's no requirements like that that go into it. Uh, so far, what we know is essentially a law enforcement uh, individual. So that could be you know, FBI, that could be KSP, Kentucky State Police, that could be your local sheriff, your local police officers say, we want to take this person's gun and they go to the uh, judge and they ask a judge to have a hearing. And then this person will be drugged before the courts to defend himself that he has or herself, that he is, is mentally able to own guns, that he's emotionally well enough, insane enough to own a firearm. Which is very interesting because, as I said, you know, when I check the Second Amendment, I don't particularly see anything about, um, you know, uh, government getting to take away your guns if they, for some reason, without you committing a crime, decide that you're somehow just you can't own a gun. And and we'll go into more. We, we'll go a little bit more into car, but also recently we had some legislators, some senators, a senator and a House rep, uh, talking about this on a TV program recently. Uh, Republicans. And I want to go over what they had to say in order to impress upon you why we have to stay involved in our legislature, why we've got to stay informed. You're listening to the Andrew Kubrider Show, your source for Kentucky politics. We'll see you back here in just a few, few short minutes. And you are back with the Andrew Kubrider Show, your source for Kentucky politics. Before the break, we're going back over car crisis aversion rights retention act, a red flag Gun law, a law that would require individuals, if law enforcement requests it, to be drugged in front of a, a judge, um, not a jury of their peers, not being accused of a crime, to defend their right to own a firearm, not because they committed a crime, of course, but simply because, uh, you know, somebody has decided maybe maybe they're unsafe, maybe they're just mentally not well enough or or what have you. And of course, you know, we can go into all the the worrisomes about that. I think it should be self-obvious. I, 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 I hate that I even feel like I have to explain why this would be a problem. You'd think in a post-COVID world where we've seen government get so much wrong, where we've seen how much depends upon individual judges. I'm mean, in a world where we can see important things like, uh, uh, you know, what does it mean? What does the second amendment mean or, or what can government do or not do? We have the Supreme court, the highest judges in the land, and they'll come down with completely different viewpoints on something. And I hope that would make it clear to people that that is why our rights are guaranteed to us unless we've been convicted of a crime by a jury of our peers, because government can't be trusted. One judge cannot be trusted ever, ever. You cannot trust one judge. That's why they judge shop to try to find a better judge. That's why a jury appears is ultimately speaking what needs to convict a person of a crime of a crime. But putting that uh, to the side here that I even have to explain that crisis aversion rights retention act awful bill, you know, and, and, and even outside of just the, the fact they're not being accused of a crime, the very fact that. Uh, you you would have to pay if if law enforcement asks a judge to do it. And why would law enforcement ask? I don't know. Maybe somebody just called them up and asked them to do it. And they said, well, you know, okay, we'll go ahead and do that. 
So they go in front of a judge, and a judge sits there and says, you know what, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But regardless, your cost, you're going to have to hire an attorney. That's $2,000 probably, $3,000 to hire an attorney to represent you in the case. And now you're paying two, three grand to defend your right to own a firearm. Not because you committed a crime, but just because somebody somewhere decided to go ahead and target you. I mean, obviously it's a big, big concern. And, and people ask themselves, you know, in a world where we're supposed to care about our constitutional rights in a place where we are an 80% Republican legislature state, why is it we have to deal with this? Well, we have a little bit of look-see into the thought process of our legislators on Kentucky tonight, uh, on KET recently, uh, Senator Amanda Mays Bledsoe, as well as Representative Dietz, weighed in on Crisis Aversion Rights Retention Act. We're going to hear what they had to say. But first, I want to make sure you understand a term they're going to throw around, which is due process. So due process uh, is is dictionarily defined simply as fair treatment through the normal judicial system, especially as a citizen's entitlement. And if you search due process, one of the things you can say is, is, is in, a, in a nutshell, due process means that uh, when it comes to the rights you should be guaranteed as a citizen, when it comes to your constitutional rights especially, you should have a fair trial with a jury. That is one of the key beliefs of due process. Uh, there is no way around that. That is kind of the historical background on due process. There's no way... Anybody who's being honest with themselves about uh, what the law states and what the law is supposed to intend and what the Second Amendment is supposed to intend would somehow say that somebody being uh, uh, getting their rights taken away by one judge's decision without a jury is right. It's not right. And it isn't due process. There's no way it is. There's no way it is. But we're going to, to hear from... These representatives. First, let's start off with uh, Senator Amanda Mays Bledsoe. It's here she had to say. Gun violence. So I'll start with you, Senator Mays Bledsoe. We we know that there is a possibly some movement with the crisis aversion rights retention measure that has been presented in previous sessions of the General Assembly. It has, and I believe Senator Westerfield is is hosting that meeting um, this week. I believe mm -hmm. on Thursday, and so um, he's going to present. He's been working on this bill for a long time. Uh, I think the biggest concern I hear from most at least conservatives on this issue is due process. And so we'll be waiting to see what he puts forward and allows the testimony. And that's that's the challenge on that bill in particular, is making sure there's a due process if you're going to remove guns. And I share the same concern. And we should define for viewers who may not be familiar, for those who uh, are a danger to themselves or to others, this would have a judge uh, be able to remove those firearms for a certain period of time, temporarily, until they no longer present to be a danger to themselves or others. But the due process question still remains for many who question uh, moving forward with this. That's exactly right. And that's a big issue. That is not a small concern from from conservatives in both uh, both chambers of the General Assembly, I think, on the majority side. And so how they do that, and I think Senator Westerfield has some ideas on how we might be able to do that in a better way and make sure the due process is followed. And if they can find that, I think that would be much better. There'll be more uh, support for it. I don't want to get too far off that topic, but I do want to go to you, Representative. So that was... Amanda Mays Bledsoe's statement. And, and it's just, it's, I don't know. 
And this would be the straightforward, you know, if I was asked that question, trying to be senatorially, not just coming out and being Andrew Cooper or radio show host, but trying to make sure that my point cannot be misconstrued. Because keep in mind, you have people like me that will go ahead and, and, and grab clips of things and play it, and you don't have time to fully flesh it out. If you're worried about running for election, something I don't plan on doing, ever again, then doing something like what I'm doing here is very dangerous because there's an awful lot of opportunities people have to go ahead and grab what you say, uh, to take it out of context. So at the same time, you're being asked questions. You get two minutes to respond, a few minutes to respond. You can't fully flesh out your answer. But so if I was giving a senatorial response, it would be, you know, the real question here is due process. That's of real concern. And I do not know of a single system or process where we can take away somebody's constitutional rights without them being accused of a crime and having a jury of their peers that we could follow due process to take away somebody's constitutional rights. It's it's, but see, this is what you hear. Well, there's gotta, if we can follow a way to do due process, uh, Senator Bledsoe, there's no way to follow due process and do this. There's no way to follow the spirit of the law. There's no way possible to go ahead and do that. I get it. I get it. It's very difficult to look at people and say that I, you know, is, is there people mentally unwell out there? Yeah, there is. And they have to be accused of a crime and be convicted of it by jury of their peers in order to have their rights taken away, no matter what you think, because you know what, as I'm speaking right now, there are lefties out there, a large percentage of the population that would, without a shadow of a doubt, 25, 30% of the population, at least that without a shadow of a doubt would want to take away yours and my guns, however they can do it. And they would say the very fact you think you need to own a gun makes you too mentally unstable to own a firearm. I'm dead serious. You can think I'm making that up, but I remember I was out uh, door knocking. I was out uh, door knocking, knocking Republican doors uh, for a campaign. And so I'm knocking doors and we get into a conversation about the second amendment. And this was one of those, once again, those 20% of Republicans uh, that for some reason call themselves a Republican, despite the fact they do not hold a single conservative belief. And this person had a belief that guns should be taken away. Nobody needs to own an AR-15, a handgun or yada, 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 because he's an idiot. And, um, you know, he, he, he comes there and he's talking to me and we're having a discussion. And at one point he goes, well, uh, you're probably armed right now. And I said, actually, sir, in fact, I am armed right now. A, a little secret about me. If you see me in public, there's hardly ever a circumstance where I'm not armed. Um, you will, if <laughs> you have never seen me not armed, I almost guarantee it. You have never seen me not armed unless I'm in a bank. Uh, or my son's school, you will never see me not armed. I'm just telling you, you won't. Um, if you've ever seen me in the Capitol building, I've been armed. If you've ever seen me at a political event, I've been armed. I tell you that every single time. You've seen me with a gun, and you don't even know it because it's not a big deal. But this individual says, you're probably armed right now. And I go, well, yeah, sure, I'm armed. Of course, got to protect myself. And he goes, well, I don't know. I don't even want to do this conversation anymore because I don't know when you're going to pull out a gun and just shoot me in my face. Like that is an actual behavior that he expects out of his fellow man. 
just a drop of a hat out of nowhere. That is the the rule, not the exception. That is just going to happen. This guy who's who's out knocking doors, having a, a casual and well-thought-through conversation about Second Amendment rights is suddenly going to pull out a gun and shoot you in the face. That is a belief they have. And that's why we can't forego this. That's why we can't hand it over. But it wasn't just Bledsoe who weighed in on this. We also have uh, uh, Dietz, Representative Dietz out of Northern Kentucky. She also, same program, asked the same question, what's here she had to say does about due process. Uh, we, we've got other um, similar processes that we follow right now at Casey's Law and things like that where we can go to court. Uh, so I, I, I want, I'm open to listening to how we're going to protect that due process. At the same time, I know that, again, as a domestic attorney, you know, it scares me. I, I hear on the news when somebody's been shot and you kind of hold your breath and go, I hope that's not one of my clients. Um, I've been in that situation. We had a terrible incident in Fort Thomas. That's not my district, but that's several years ago where a spouse um, texted, I can't tell you how many times, and ultimately went to her workplace and shot her. And um, she was a quadriplegic and she died several years ago. So it, it's an issue. Uh but I want to make sure that due process is handled and, and that we have that discussion and we make sure that people's rights are protected on both sides. And you're back with the Andrew Kubrider Show, your source for Kentucky politics. Before the break, we were talking uh, about, of course, Crisis Aversion Rights Retention Act. We had heard from two legislators, uh, Senator Amanda Mays Bledsoe, as well as Representative uh, Dietz from Northern Kentucky, both Republicans, and their thoughts on this red flag gun law car crisis aversion rights retention act. And of course they did bring up their concerns about due process. The fact that you should uh, not have to uh, um, stand, you should be equal before the law the, and the law should encroach on your rights, but they won't admit to the very difficult thing that if we're actually respecting due process, then a bill like car could never pass. It is in no way, shape or form proper due process to force a citizen to stand before a judge to defend their constitutional right, not because they've been accused of a crime, not because uh, even a, a, a somebody has somehow pointed to evidence that they are uh, not able to control their life anymore. They can simply have this one right, your right to own a gun, taken away by decision of a judge. There's no way it is due process to do that without a person going before a jury of their peers and being accused of a crime. There's no way to follow due process and do that while forcing citizens to pay thousands of dollars for legal representation simply so they can maintain their right to own a firearm. There's no way to do it. They can't say that. They can't say it. They need to appear like they care and understand. I'm sure they do care, maybe. I'm sure that it really tugs at the heartstrings. And one of the things we heard in Stephanie Dietz's response was, well, you know, every time you hear about a shooting, you hope it's not one of your people. Um, she, she cited a, a domestic violence situation and, and about how, uh, you know, she hopes that's not one of her clients. I mean, dealing with domestic disputes who, who gets shot by a, a partner uh, in a domestic dispute and how awful that is. And that tugging on the heartstrings is why she feels she has to do something because it is impossible in this modern day and age for Republicans to say the hard thing, the right thing, but the hard thing. And that is simply, and this is, and this is something that the liberals have goaded them into that Democrats have goaded them into believing. And it is this 
love everybody. Uh, uh, nothing bad can ever happen mixed with government is here to solve all of our problems. And if something bad is happening, we have to turn to government. Government has to solve the problem. That government can somehow come up with this solution where nobody, nobody is somehow damaged by it. They can somehow do something without any trade-offs that, that they can come up with this perfect solution. And Republicans are incapable of saying out loud, Republican legislators, saying out loud the important thing, maybe privately they think it, maybe they don't. And that is we can't solve all of your problems. Government cannot solve all of your problems. Government cannot replace, you know, government can't replace a, a family. Government can't replace uh, parents. Government can't replace God. Government can't replace a community. Government can't do these things. No matter how much you ask them to, they can't do it. But yet, the liberals have convinced everybody or a vast majority of people they need to turn to government to solve all their problems. And it's left us with legislators unable to say, bad things happen. We live in a fallen world. A world where bad, awful things happen. And because of that, bad things do happen to individuals. And when somebody commits a crime against somebody, we need to hold them accountable. But at the same time, because we have freedom, it means that bad things can happen. Liberty means that people can choose wrong. And when they choose wrong, we hold them accountable. But we can't prevent them from choosing wrong if and without taking away liberty and freedom. We can treat the burn but we can't stop you from touching the stove. You know, we're not your parent. They can't say that, you know, and, and it, and it's because they can't say that there's no perfect solution. They can't say, yes, it's messy. They, they stand on a principle. They say they stand for liberty and freedom, but they can't turn around and say, but it's messy. And it means bad things will happen. It means people will choose wrong. No, instead, they, they feel a, a, a force to somehow find a solution that makes everybody feel warm and fuzzy inside because citizens are turning to government like it's their parent. And this bleeds over into more than just something like our constitutional rights in the state. This bleeds over into things like the abortion argument because Republicans are unable to say yeah, bad things happen, and it really, really sucks. But we shouldn't murder kids from it. Because we've been recently seeing quite a lot, a renewed debate on pro-life topics, on abortion. We're seeing a greater and greater call from Republicans all across the state, including in this interview, Stephanie Dietz says, yeah, you know, I'm hearing from constituents on it. Please contact me as regards to adding exemptions to abortion. In fact, some of you listening right now may be thinking to yourself, Republicans need to add an exemption for rape and incest to their abortion laws, or else they will be uh, removed from office. I got into a debate with a guy yesterday about this very topic, and his entire belief is, is that Republicans will lose in the future Republicans will lose. They need to change their viewpoint on this topic. We can't be 100% pro-life. Um, um, you know, rape and incest exemptions must exist. 
And one of their claims, of course, is you look like a psychopath. You look like an awful person if you say a woman who's been raped and gets pregnant has to have a kid. That's an awful thing to say. It is absolutely awful. And even as I'm saying this right now, many of you listening feel squeamish and uncomfortable. You think to yourself, yeah, that woman should be able to get an abortion maybe even. And longtime listeners of the show have seen time and time again me argue on this topic, have heard my arguments on it. It's worth stating. I'll state them again. And the problem with adding rape and incest uh, exemptions is you are stating that you believe that an unborn child has less value than a born child. Because what you're stating, because would you ever, are you so psychotic? Are you so murderous that you would look at a born baby, even a one minute old born baby, and if you found out it was uh, uh, conceived through rape or incest, would you murder it? Would you kill it right there? As soon as it comes out of the mother, you find out, oh, that's a, that's a baby born because of rape or incest. Would you stab it in the heart and kill it? Would that be morally acceptable to you? Now, unless you're somebody who's going to be a future serial killer, my hopes is you just responded with, no, of course not. I would never do that. And so therefore, if though you're okay with that happening to a child in the womb, you think that is something that should be allowed. Well, I ask you, so you hold a belief you, you objectionably, it's not even I ask you, you have now stated you hold a belief that an unborn baby has a lower value than a born baby. And the minute you admit that, now all you're negotiating with over the murderers, over the, the liberals, all you're negotiating on is where do you set that line of value? Where, where is it? Let's negotiate on the value of a human life. That is now what you're doing. So if you believe abortion is wrong, and you believe it's wrong for ending a child's life because you believe that's what it is doing. You believe abortion is murder. You can't simultaneously also believe in exemptions for rape and incest because now you're stating that, no, 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 no. Actually, a fetus does have a different value. Actually, an unborn child does have a different value than a born child. That is giving up ground. There's no other way to dress it up. We're coming up on the time clock. We're going to continue on talking about what Republicans are saying on this thing and how they're going to push forward. They're going to be more liberal on abortion. They're going without Democrats even in power. Democrats will win on the abortion argument here in Kentucky. We'll go over that after this short break. You're listening to The Andrew Cooperwriter Show. As always, you want to reach out, email info at theandrewshow.com. Once again, that's info at theandrewshow.com. We'll see you here in a few, few short minutes. And you're back with The Andrew Cooperwriter Show. Before the break, we were talking about uh, abortion. No, uncomfortable topic. And of course, I was talking about, um, well, why, you know, if you if you hold the belief on uh, abortion is murder, why exemptions for rape and incest uh, goes against those beliefs. If you if you believe that an unborn child and a born child has the same value, then it goes against it. Now, if you believe, of course, that a unborn child has a different value than a born child, and that's your assertion, well, then um, 
let's have that debate about where that is. Why do you believe that? Why do you believe a child one second from being born from being born uh, has some sort of different value? Why, why one minute right before it's born to the minute it's born, it somehow now has different value. Why do you believe that? Cause that doesn't make sense. You know, would you stab a nine month gestated baby <laughs> that just hasn't been born yet? Would you reach in there and kill it? Is that really what you're saying you're okay with? Of course not. That makes you squeamish. You don't actually believe that. Nobody does unless you're a psychopath. But, see, liberals know the logic behind what they're saying. They know that what they're advocating for is murdering babies. That's why they don't want to have that discussion. And we intrinsically know that is the case. It is murdering children. Abortions are. Now, an argument we're hearing right now from Republicans is that we need to allow child murder in these situations. We need to allow unborn children to be murdered for this for in these situations because it was it was conceived through rape or incest because well one we can't one one of the things is well you can't really say it without looking crazy. You know, basically you're conceding. You're saying, yeah, you know, the liberals are right. The Democrats are right. The child murderers are right. We should murder children in this situation. And to which case I ask, were you ever really pro-life to begin with? Or have you really ever been challenged? And for some of you listening to this, me going through this, how I have, might be the first time you've really thought about it this way. It might be the first time you're really challenged on this. And so I can't blame you for now. You're really thinking through your viewpoints because you haven't really been pushed on it. It might change your mind. So maybe that's it. Maybe you just really haven't been challenged on it and it's time to do it. I think if everybody was challenged on their viewpoints on abortion and there was a real solid challenge on it, that a lot of people would wind up where I am. That abortion and last life of the mother is wrong, really morally wrong. You're murdering a child. I think that's where they land on it. But of course, that kind of discussion and conservative groups, right to life groups have been absolutely awful about challenging people on that viewpoint about fighting in the culture war. Because remember, what is acceptable in the culture is based upon who's pushing it forward. What is it, right? Because 20 years ago, the idea of two men getting married and having uh, and, and, and paying a woman to uh, have a child for them would be unthinkable 20 years ago, 30 years ago. That would not be something the general populace accepts. The same people right now who will march in the street, the same 56 year olds that would march in the street with rainbows all over them, allowing their minors to be exposed to sex performers would 30 years ago, not even be okay with gay marriage. People like Democrats in office, right? And so we know that if we battle in the culture, that affects the political outcome. We know that. And no Republicans have even tried to do that yet. And they say, we don't have time. We can't battle on this issue. So the, so, so the first belief is, is, look, it's just not murder. I don't think that. Maybe that's what you think, and let's have that debate. But that's not what the Republicans are saying. What Republicans are saying, the Republicans in the legislature, in order to get their colleagues to support this here in Kentucky, is that we will lose control unless we relent on this. Unless we relent on this. So basically what they're saying is, look, we have to let them murder some children 
So that way in the future, we don't lose. And if we lose, well, they'll murder all the children. They'll just legalize abortion across the board. So if we want to stop some kids from being murdered, we have to allow some of these other kids to be murdered. And this argument is flawed in many, many ways. First, it's built upon a presumption that Republicans will lose control before they've been able to, one, engage in the public, right? Because there's been no efforts on that engaging in the culture war. But it's also flawed because it doesn't follow with historically what's actually happened with Republicans in Kentucky. In 2016, Trump is on the ballot. Republicans gain 18 seats in the House. And for the first time in the entire history of Kentucky, Republicans have control of the state House. Then in 2018, the Trump midterms, the GOP loses just three seats. Then in 2020, Trump's back on the ballot and the GOP... The Republicans and the state house here gain another 14 seats. Then in 2022, abortion is literally on the ballot. Remember, there was that amendment to action. That was an abortion amendment here in Kentucky. It was literally on the ballot. And it even lost. <laughs> but yet, Republicans in the house gain five seats. So anytime you've had Trump on the ballot or you've had abortion literally on the ballot, the state house Republicans have gained seats. I mean, remember in 2022, that amendment was on the ballot post Roe v. Wade. And they still gain seats. But yet, somehow the belief is, is that, well, in 2024, this is literally something they're saying. They're saying, we expect in 2024 to lose seats. We have Trump on the ballot. We've only ever gained seats with Trump on the ballot. But because of abortion, which has never lost them a seat before, but because of abortion, we think we will lose seats. This is what they're pushing forward. And they say, if we don't lose seats in 24, well, we'll definitely lose seats in 26 then. So that's the first, this is the first flawedness in their argument. The history doesn't even play that out. That doesn't even appear to be true. Where is that coming from? And where it's stemming from is because these establishment pukes can't be honest with themselves about why Cameron lost. They're looking at that Bashir win and they're saying, oh, we lost because of abortion. We will lose in the future because of abortion. Now, first off, they didn't really lose anything. Republicans lost the same election that they lost four years ago. They haven't lost ground. They've gained ground, if anything, even when abortion's on the ballot. But because of this one office that Democrats won four years ago, that they re-won again, well, that means that we need to change everything. We need to even murder children. We need to sacrifice children at the altar of the politic gods so that way we don't lose our seats. We don't lose power. That's the claim. Because they can't be honest. The, the Cameron didn't lose because of abortion. When you look at turnout. What do you see? You see, if anything, Republicans and Democrats pretty evenly turned out, or in a lot of circumstances, more Democrats turned out to vote than Republicans. 
because Cameron didn't inspire the electorate to turn out. Less people turned out to vote this year for governor than turned out to vote four years ago because Cameron was uninspirational. But they can't say that because Cameron campaigned and listened to the exact same people they all listened to. He pushed forward the same ideas that they pushed forward. He campaigned the same way they do, say nothing. And if they admit that that's the losing thing, if they admit that conservatives being weak is what will cost them elections, well, then in that case, they now themselves are wrong. And those in power can't accept that. They can't accept that's the reason why. They need to bl blame Trump and abortion, and they need to deal with this problem now, they think. They need to deal with abortion. Now, why do they feel they need to deal with it now? Well, it has to do with some of the people in leadership, of course, because people like Jason Nemes, people like Damon Thayer, they live in districts that uh, are purpler. Damon Thayer's Senate seat, Bashir won in the general. And so they're looking at that saying, wow, we need to do something because I may lose. Because even if the Republicans lose in 2024 and 2026, lose ground, the most anybody's talking about them losing is maybe a seat or two. In this next, even, even the people who think they will lose. I don't know why they think that. The data doesn't play that out. But even the Republicans that think the Republicans will lose House seats in the state House think it's only a seat or two. So even in 2026, if they lose seats, it's a seat or two. If they end up at 75 seats over the next four years, while that gives us time to continue to battle on this issue, they've only lost five seats. Geez, I guess they'll just have to make do with 75% instead of 80% of the legislature. That's still way more enough to get everything done we need to do. It's not even close to Democrats being in power, but who will be those five seats be? Well, it could be leadership members like Jason Emis, like Damon Thayer, and that's the reason they're willing to sacrifice children. It is those people in leadership in purple districts who are worried about their own skin. They're not worried about Republicans actually losing power because Republicans won't lose power as a whole. They know that. They know that's not even going to happen within the next six years. But it could be them individually who loses their seat. And if that's the case, well, then they're out of power. And so as long as they need to maintain their seats, they will be okay with sacrificing babies at the altar of politics. Well, y'all, that's what we have time for today on the Andrew Cooper Writer Show. Uh, big, big show for you tomorrow because there are stories today I didn't even get to cover, so I know somewhat about what we'll be doing tomorrow. But otherwise, thank you all so, so much for joining us. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Have a great rest of your day.